to celebrate today. And so with that profession of faith, brother, it is my joy and my privilege to baptize you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in death, and raised to walk in new life. Amen? All right. All right. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So Nicholas is here with us today. So put your hands together again for our brother in Christ. Definitely a, a wonderful thing to celebrate. For those of you that are home, I hope you are encouraged by his story. I, I, I really encourage all of you to take the opportunity to get to know this, this young man, uh, hopefully the way that I've been able to get to know him over the last few months. Got a great story and a great heart, and, and I love seeing what God is doing in his life and through his life. And so it's definitely something for us all to celebrate this morning and to be mindful of this morning. I love the way that he serves uh, through his testimony. Nicholas gives us a great reminder by calling, us, calling our attention to that verse that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. And, and I think that's such a, a great reminder that faith is truly a journey of, of stepping into something that's not always known. And it brings us to an important question this morning is where do you have your eyes fixed? Right, what is it that you're focused on? And what does that look like for you? And to have that encouragement from our brother there to say, man, no, even when we can't fully understand all of it, we're going to take that step of faith in seeking to follow Christ. So what a wonderful example and what a wonderful thing for us to celebrate this morning. It also serves as kind of a reminder and maybe a, a demonstration to you all how we're approaching the uniqueness of this time. Yes, we are still baptizing people and we will always baptize people. I don't care what this world is facing. Now, we are having to do it differently. Uh, we're not doing baptisms right now here on this campus. We, what we're doing is we're having conversations with folks saying, if you are interested in this, you, you tell us what would be meaningful to you, and, and you can pick the spot. That was a spot that Nicholas had, had picked. It was a beautiful little hike that we had a chance to go down with his group of friends and whatnot. And so, same for you all. If you have a prompting in your heart that you want to be baptized, if that's something God is leading you to do, man, do not wait. Don't hesitate. We, we can find a way to do that safely and appropriately, even in these times. And that's really what we're trying to do collectively right now, not just through baptism, but really just as a church. And I want to take some time to just remind you of our philosophy and our approach uh, towards church as we've kind of continued to try to figure out how to navigate this global pandemic uh, as a society and, and as a congregation. And so, you, you know, it's become another focal point of conversation in the recent weeks as, we've seen, as we have seen a surge kind of take place in our state and in our county in particular. And so we have some, some things that we're adapting to and adjusting to. And I don't know how many of you can see it at home, so I'll, I'll make sure that everyone knows that we've now required the wearing of masks when you come to gather with us on Sunday morning. And uh, if you're on the platform, we're not asking you to do that because it'd be too hard to understand. But everyone else that's here today is, and we appreciate that. We're making those available for you as you walk in. Uh, we also are continuing to emphasize the importance of social distancing, right? We've got at least 26 feet more or less from people front to back. Uh, try to have six feet from side to side. We got one full row here this morning, uh, as I also want to acknowledge them. Yes, we've got six different interns that are here from all over the state uh, that have gathered here to help us with some outreach opportunities. And so we're really excited to have those folks. We've got some other visitors and guests with us today as well. And so hopefully whether you uh, are coming here for the first time or you've been here numerous times, you will see that we're doing our best to maximize social distancing. We cap it at 50 
uh, in our church, and, and that's uh, large in part because that was in alignment with federal guidelines when you started to see some reopenings, but also because that keeps us at about 10% of the capacity for this whole room, all right? And so we, we, we are exercising some tremendous caution. So I say all that to tell you that we're going to continue to comply with state guidelines. Uh, we're watching the numbers like everyone else, and if things change, we'll change. Um, but, but we're going to continue to move forward, hopefully with reason and wisdom that gives us an opportunity to still focus on the importance of gathering as the body of Christ. And, and that's where I would speak in today in terms of our philosophy, is that I still feel compelled as the pastor to remind you of the essential aspect of being together, right? I mean, we see it as early in Genesis, right? It's not good for mankind to be alone. And so you see this constant pull towards community and towards relationship. You see it when the church is birthed, that every day they met together. In the book of Hebrews, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, right? It is an essential aspect of the church. Now, what we're doing is we're encouraging safe ways to do that, right? We're not doing it um, oblivious to the time within which we live. So we're, we're pointing people to discipleship groups, uh, so that you can gather in smaller groups out in somebody's front yard or backyard with, with lawn chairs spread out. We are making this an option on Sunday morning under those conditions because here's the reality. What we're all trying to figure out is how do we manage risk, right? Because no matter what, you're, you're taking a risk. You come here, if you meet with a small group, you go to the grocery store, like there's, there's a risk involved with, with health and with this virus. But I would also want to tell us and, and make sure that we don't lose sight of is that if we go six months, eight months, a year with very limited social interaction in, our, in, our, in the midst of gathering with other believers, there's risk involved with that as well, right? And so we've got to figure out how do we hold those things in tension. And so we're going to continue to encourage as best we can to gather together with wisdom and grace and understanding. And that's the last thing I'd say before we get to the word today is as we try to make these decisions, as you see people around you making decisions, continue to carry a posture of grace. Unfortunately, so many of these guidelines have become one more example of how we can find division and pick sides and call names at each other. And let's just, as the body of Christ, let's not engage in that. Let's continue to carry a posture of grace in all circumstances so that God would be glorified. And that's what we want to do today is to glorify God our Father as we gather together and consider his word. And so let's ask for his spirit to guide us accordingly. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads? Father in heaven, we love you, and we are grateful for this opportunity. We celebrate our brother Nicholas and his uh, commitment and his decision, his testimony today that we know is emblematic of so many others who have gathered in this room or those that are watching uh, at home and, and even those that are just gathering in some capacity around the world today, Father, this moment where we felt this undeniable sense to follow the example that you set for us in Christ, to see him as Lord and to want to surrender to him. God, today we, we want to dive further into a greater understanding of how do we do that well? How do we live that out meaningfully each and every day. And so we pray that your spirit would guide us, that it would illuminate a greater understanding in our hearts and our minds as we consult your word. So Father, be with us now and help us to see you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, I have one primary question for us all to think through this morning and really hopefully beyond this morning. Here's my question for you. <clears throat> Are you the making the most of your life? That's it, that's the question. 
And I'm sure you've asked it of yourself at different points in different seasons, but, but it is a question we all need to keep in mind. Are you making the most of your life? That's the question for this, this morning, right? Is your life, is it something that you are living to the fullest? And I wonder how you would answer that question. Maybe not even just the yes or no. Yes, I am making the most of my life. No, I'm not. But, but I'm curious even, what do you picture when somebody asks you that question? Right? What does it look like to you to make the most of your life or do you live your life to the fullest? I imagine we would all have different images, different pictures of what that would look like because we have different skills, we have different passions, we have different circumstances, different situations, but, but we all seem to ask it and we all need to ask it. And so what I really want us to pursue this morning is how do we have that mindset, right? How do we cultivate that sort of intentionality in our life to make sure that we approach each and every moment to say, how do I make the most of this moment? How do I make the most of this life that God has given me, right? How do we cultivate that mindset in a meaningful way? And that's what we're gonna be looking at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter five, and we're gonna continue this series that we've been walking through for several months now. And as we noticed this shift, as we got to the halfway point when we started chapter four, uh, we, we began to see these contrasts that Paul was using over and over again to make different points, right? A contrast between the old self and the new self, between life and death, between light and darkness. That's really what we focused in on last week, to live as children of light, that we should bear fruit of light, that we should uh, seek out what the Lord's will is and expose the fruitless deeds of darkness, right? So those were the things that Paul has really been emphasizing, and we're going to see another contrast today. But as we continue to move through the end of chapter 5, we're going to kind of slow it down a little bit and, and rather than looking at paragraphs at a time, we're gonna look at just a few verses at a time because they're so rich and hit on a number of different topics. And so today we're gonna to kind of continue through this, this discussion on how do you live as children of light and, and how Paul continues to utilize these contrasts by looking at just three verses this morning in chapter five. Chapter five, starting in verse 15. Here's what Paul says. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but is wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Okay, Paul sets the tone pretty significantly here on the very opening part here with this phrase, be very careful, right? He sets the tone with that. And I want us to, to give consideration to what he's trying to accomplish with that phrase because when you hear somebody tell you, be very careful, how do you typically respond? What, it, what kind of context or situation do you picture when you hear a phrase like that? More often than not, it implies danger. There's this, there's this sense of caution, right? You might think about stepping into a room with broken glass and how you have to carefully step around here. And so when we hear a phrase like that, a lot of times the image we associate with it is one of, of trepidation, of, of overly being cautious, of fear, of anxiety. And while a lot of those things are appropriate to a phrase like this, I, I think Paul is trying to offer a much stronger implication with this phrase. And so I wanna make sure that we, we have an understanding of what he's actually saying here and how this is setting the tone for us to cultivate the appropriate mindset. So the two words that he's actually using here in the Greek are the words for to see and accurately. Right? So a very literal translation would be to see accurately. 
Okay, but, but really what he's implying beyond that is this, this nuance, two different nuances that I would try to emphasize for us this morning to make sure we understand this tone. The first of which is that when you see accurately, you begin to understand what's really important, right? And so what he's trying to create here for his readers is a sense of urgency. Because when you understand that something is urgent, you understand its importance, right? When, when there's an urgency that is associated with the matter, then you get up and you address it right away, right? When there's a lack of urgency, what often happens is we stop and we go, you know, I'll get to that later. You know, I'll come around to that when it's more convenient, when I'm ready. And so there's a huge difference between living a life with urgency and importance and one that is a little bit more caring and so, or, or lack of caring. And so he's trying to bring in a sense of urgency, which to me resonates, uh, I, this is a word that has kind of been on my heart for the better part of a year. I, I remember going on the sabbatical last year and thinking about just different things that God was leading us to pursue as a congregation and things that I had learned and, and ministry experience. And I, I kept thinking about culturally, right, just in our society, in American Christianity, that part of what I felt like we had lost and was lacking was a sense of urgency, right? That most of us were experiencing our faith through the lens of convenience rather than importance, right? And so we, we would evaluate our engagement with the body of Christ, our engagement with society based on the convenience level. Do, do I have time to commit to another group or to serve? You know, I, I don't know, is, is the preaching good enough? Is it, is it really my style that I like? What about the music? Like we, everything that we tend to react to was really through this lens of convenience rather than is this important, right? I, I need to serve. I need to gather, and assigning that sort of importance level to it. So urgency is critical, and Paul is trying to infuse that into his readers. But it's not just urgency. Right? The second nuance to this phrase that Paul is trying to establish here is that it also requires the utmost concentration. Okay, this is where the idea of caution begins to kind of make sense, right? Because if you're going to walk through a room full of glass, you need to focus, right, every little step because if the minute that you distract yourself and you look elsewhere what are you going to do you're going to cut your foot right and so part of what he's trying to say is not so much that you need to move with trepidation and hesitancy and timidity but you need to focus right this requires the utmost concentration to live appropriately and to live accordingly Th these instructions that Paul is giving demands importance and focus right and so if that's true part of what we need to understand is that one of the things that the devil's gonna try to do is distract us, right? That's gonna be one of the main techniques is to, to see if he can just pull us away from God's will or pull us away from the life that he wants us to live. And not only that, not only is he gonna try to distract us, he's gonna try to convince us that we can do both, <laughs> right? And so what ends up happening is, is we divide our passions, we divide our interests, our time, our focus into all these different directions. And the net result is we become incredibly unproductive and ineffective. Right? We lose focus. We lose the sort of concentration that this life demands. There's all these studies that, that go into the, the negative side effects of multitasking. Right? A lot of times we feel like when we multitask, we're being more productive when in fact we aren't. There is this study that, uh, that I think it was the University of London somewhere uh, over in Europe conducted not too long ago that talked about when you multitask, a lot of times it can actually reduce your IQ level to the point of an eight-year-old. Right? And so the, the article, I'm paraphrasing, more or less said, so the next time you're like sitting in a meeting and you're 
trying to check your phone and write an email over here, you might as well get an eight-year-old to write it for you because you're operating at the same cognitive level and a cognitive ability, right? So we think it's more effective when in reality it isn't. And the reason I bring that up to you is because I think a lot of us try to multitask our faith, right? It's like one of many things we do, right? It's like this hobby that we tend to on Sundays or, or whenever we meet with a small group or a D group or whatever, right? But, but I also have all these other things that I'm also trying to maintain. And what Paul is trying to say is, no, 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 no. It is the focus. It is the lens through which you understand everything else in life. So that's the tone, right? So if we want to begin to have an appropriate mindset to figure out how do we make the most of life, part of it is understanding that we need to live with a certain urgency and a certain focus to understand what God has called us to. And so that's where he, he finishes the statement. Be very careful how you live. There's the word again. We've talked about it numerous times. Peripateo, right? This is the, the, them, the thematic word that we see introduced to us in chapter four at the very beginning. It's that, that thesis statement. Be very careful then how you live, right? Live your life in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. That's what he says at the beginning of chapter four. So Paul is in many ways tying us all the way back to this thematic statement. Saying if you're gonna live your life worthy of the calling you've received, it's gonna demand urgency and importance. It's gonna demand focus and attention, right? You have to be very careful with how you live. And that's what brings us into this next contrast. What Paul wants to emphasize here is that to be children of light, to continue to put on this new self, to represent life rather than death, then the contrast that he's gonna to use to make this point here is that you need to live as those who are wise, not as unwise, right? It's not foolishness, it's understanding. And that's the contrast that he begins to create for us in these three verses. And so let's quickly address those terms for a moment, right? So, so foolishness is not just ignorance, right? It's not just uh, you know, a lack of intellect, what it really is from a biblical standpoint is a failure to understand God's will, right? In some cases, it's actually the denier of God, right? So the fool is the one that's gonna deviate from God's path. The fool is gonna be the one that runs all these different directions and they may find success from an earthly standard, right? They may find wealth and fame and security and all these other things, but in God's eyes, it's still foolishness. Right? The, the wise person is going to understand his will. The wise person is going to fear the Lord. Wisdom, from a biblical standpoint, understood that it was not just intellect, but it was practice. Right? It was the skill set to understand what life was like, what life is really about, but also to master it, to apply it, to actually live it out. That's wisdom. Right? And so that's what, what Paul is trying to encourage from each of us. Right, to live as wise, to understand what the Lord's will is, to live your life in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received, right? Which is what leads him to the thrust of these three verses. What is an example of such wisdom? What is an example of such urgency, of such concentration and focus, but to make the most of every opportunity? because the days are evil. That's his answer for these three verses. That, that takes us back to the question that I brought to you at the beginning. Are you making the most out of life? And that's what I want us to, to 
explore a little bit further. How do we cultivate that mindset with this urgency, with this focus, with this understanding of wisdom, right? How do we really begin to live that out practically? And, and Kevin did a great job introducing the concept this morning during the children's time because the first thing that we really need to think through is our understanding of time, right? That's the word that's being used here. It's, it's a word that speaks to time. Now, here's what you need to keep in mind whenever you read this biblically is that from a, from a Greco-Roman perspective, there were two different words in the Greek that conveyed time. There was chronos, which is your understanding of chronological time, right? Sequential time. But then there was kairos, which is what's being used here, which is kairos is a specific moment, right? A specific opportunity, a moment for action, right? That's the sort of, of word that's being here. Kairos is, is our understanding of time that begins to kind of ignite within us whenever we feel like time is being wasted. Right? Like, like Kevin referenced earlier when he asked, does anybody have an example? I was like, man, I could immediately think of one. I, I remember last week uh, on Father's Day, right? Father's Day is a unique moment, unique opportunity to, to be with your family, do some different things. And so I was celebrating with my family and we wanted to get you know, a fun meal curbside to go kind of thing. And we called the restaurant that we had chosen because we had a gift card and like, well, that'll help save money as well. And Called them up and we were all excited, but it was going to be an hour and a half wait. And we thought, no, that, that's, no, we're not going to spend that kind of time. And so the, the motivation when we made that decision was, well, let's, let's just drive through something on the way home because we want to take advantage of this opportunity to be together as a family. So we go to, to drive through. We wanted Mexican food, so we drive through Taco Cabana. It's on the way home. And all of a sudden, I have that terrible drive through experience that many of us have probably gone through at some point or another. Where all of a sudden, fast food no longer feels very fast, right? And you're sitting there in line and it's just taking forever. And, and you have that thought, I don't know if, if I'm the only one that thinks this way, but I have that thought like, is it the guy in front of me? Is he ordering like a thousand things off the menu? Is it, is it the kitchen? Like what's happening? But we're already like getting this sense. This is taking way too long only to arrive at the drive through window to give them money so that they could tell me, wait longer, right? Pull around front and we'll bring it out to you. So I, I pull her out front and I'm just like, okay, this is not going well. So I decide to get out of the car and walk in to the main area so I could just get the food quicker. And as I walk in, I actually see a father and wife and son who I had actually seen walk into Taco Cabana when we first arrived. He got his last thing and he turned to me and goes, good luck. And then walked out the, the restaurant. Another lady came in and she was complaining that she had been waiting 20 minutes to, for like two burritos. And so I'm watching everything take place in the kitchen and it's just chaos. Nobody knows who ordered what, what order it was placed. They don't know anything that's really going on. And can I just confess to you, I didn't really feel the love of Jesus welling up within me in that moment, right? It was all this frustration that was beginning to boil within me. Why? Because it felt like a waste of time. It felt like opportunities to be at home with my family, whatever, were being wasted. Kairos was passing me by, right? That's what we feel in those moments, that time is a gift. It's precious, it's valuable. We wanna spend it well. That's what Paul is talking about here, kairos, right? And so that's why he says the verb that he puts with it is make the most of. It literally means to buy back. It, it's the word that is also used for redemption, believe it or not, right? It's, it's the same idea of redeeming, but the concept of redemption is not really being used here. It's actually a merchant 
term. It, it makes you think of the marketplace, right? The image that, that's really being used with this verb here is this idea of walking into a market and taking advantage of buying up every opportunity that's presented to you, right? So if you kind of think of those experiences where you walk in, you're like, okay, I'm gonna get this one, I wanna get this one, I wanna get this one. It, it's every chance I get, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it, right? I'm gonna make the most of every opportunity. So what Paul is presenting to us here is a life that reflects urgency and focus and wisdom is one that's not gonna let opportunities pass them by. And so you and I are, are absolutely aware that life is filled with missed and made opportunities. All right, let me, let me give you a couple of examples so that we can try to dive a little bit deeper into the mindset of how we can, can avoid both. Let, let's first talk about missed opportunities. So this past week, I had a chance to, to visit my family in my hometown, and we were hanging out. Our family loves to play games, and my wife had found this this game uh, that looked like it came in an old Blockbuster video case. You've seen those, right? And uh, I say the word Blockbuster, and many of you in here immediately had visions of walking down the video aisle and picking out a movie. Others of you are like, what's Blockbuster, right? Because they don't exist anymore, hence the story of missed opportunities. Because uh, in 2000, a guy by the name of Reed Hastings flies into Dallas to have a meeting with the CEO of Blockbuster, John Antioco. And here is the pitch. Uh, this Hastings guy had this kind of new fledging company that he had started, and he wanted to join forces. He wanted a partner. And his pitch to, to the CEO of Blockbuster was, you know what? I'll help run all the online stuff. You help promote our business in the stores. You give me $50 million, and let's run with it. And apparently, he was laughed out of the room, right? Because Blockbuster was the, the video-providing giant at the time. He was, the guy was like, we don't need you. We don't need your company. We don't need your business. We're going to keep doing what we've been doing. And then what happened? Well, as history would prove out, um, that little fledging company that was founded by Reed Hastings is now worth $26 billion and is known as Netflix. And Blockbuster is a board game, right? Missed opportunity. Compare that to the story of someone like Tariq Farid, right, who is this this young man whose family immigrated over to the U.S. when he was 12 years old. And because they were in tremendous financial need, he had to start working all sorts of odd jobs from the very beginning, even at the age of 12, right? So he had a paper route, worked at Burger King, shoveled snow off sidewalks during the wintertime. And at one point, when he was about 13 years old, he sought out an opportunity with a, a guy that had just started a flower shop. He said, can I, can I come around? Can I, can I help you? And the guy said, sure, you can work for me part-time. Uh, I just do some little tasks here and there. But, but Tariq saw it as an opportunity to learn, right? And so he studied. He was a sponge. He observed everything that this guy was doing, how he was running his business, how it could work. So when Tariq was 17 years old, his father came to him and said, okay, we have a chance here to, to buy this flower shop. You think you can run it, right? I want to put my trust in you. You've been working here part-time. You've been learning. That's a lot of pressure, for a 17-year-old, not just to run a business, but know that his family's security was dependent upon him. But he took it. Right? He took that opportunity. And over time, they, they found their way through the business. They had certain deals that kind of broke through. He took on some weddings, and it, it became a successful flower shop. And somewhere along the way, he kept having these ideas. And so one of his ideas was to, to rather than arrange flowers, to arrange fruit and to create this edible arrangement. And he sent it off to this one client and some guy came in who was 
I think he was like the son of the mother that had the edible arrangement. He's like, this was incredible. I'd love to take this back to Boston. Have you ever thought about franchising? Another opportunity. And Tariq said, yeah, let's do it. And today, Edible Arrangements has more than 1,300 locations in 10 different countries. Now, I'm not bringing those examples to your attention to highlight uh, business success or monetary gain, right? Even though the dollar amounts and locations are pretty startling when you consider the numbers, I'm bringing them to your attention to focus on the mindset, right? The mindset that leads to missed opportunity was the one that said, we're good. The status quo is fine. We're comfortable. I'm not worried about anything else. We're just gonna keep maintaining life the way it needs to be maintained, right? The, the mindset that was able to take advantage of the opportunities looked obstacles and challenges in the face and turned them into possibilities, was willing to continue to press, continue to challenge, continue to move in, and all of a sudden those opportunities begin to flourish. Which mindset governs your life? Right? Are you going through life just trying to coast? Right? Let me just maintain the status quo. Let me do what's, what's comfortable. Are you willing to look at even the challenges that you face, even the struggles that you face, and say, all right, these are possibilities to grow. Every moment is precious. Are you making the most of your life? Right? So the motivation that Paul gives us to do this is also really important. Right? So when he establishes this tone of, of urgency and importance and wisdom, and then he brings us into this notion of time, use every opportunity. Here's the motivation that he gives his readers. Do this because the days are evil. Now that statement in and of itself could warrant an entire message. Right? For us to really give thoughtful consideration to the fact that the days are evil. But what we want to do as we consider it in this context is to realize that in order for us to make the most of every opportunity, we have to understand the context within which we live. We have to understand our days and our time and our position and our moments that God has placed us in and how those things can create the opportunity and the determination and the urgency to make the most of every situation that God gives us so that we can live as children of light and shine in a darkened world, right? It's a reminder that the world is broken. It's a reminder that these days are darkened. And so how are we shining that light like God wants us to? Let me give you another example to try to encapsulate this. In the late 1700s, in the late 1700s, English traders would go to the coast of Africa off the Gulf of Guinea, and they would capture anywhere between 35,000 to 50,000 Africans, and then bring them back to the British Empire to sell them off into slavery, right? And the, the, the economics of the slave trade was so entrenched into their society and, and benefited so many people in power that very few folks felt like anything could change it. But a few did. One of them was a guy by the name of William Wilberforce. Right, and so, so Wilberforce had this political aspiration in his life too. He ended up in English Parliament, but even in his early stint within Parliament, he felt useless. Right, he had that sense of, of wasted opportunity. Nothing was really changing. And then he had this, this spiritual rebirth in 1786. And when that took place, he had his eyes open to the days within which he lived. 
right? He had this, this clarity of just how broken the days were and how he was called to respond accordingly, that he was given this position, given this opportunity to respond. And so listen to what he said as he got that clarity. He says, so enormous, so dreadful, so irremediable did the trade's wickedness appear that my own mind was completely made up for abolition. Let the consequences be what they would. I from this time determined that I would never rest until I had effected its abolition. Urgency, focus, wisdom, light. So what's fascinating about his story though is that that sort of focus and determination obviously didn't just come easy. And a lot of times we want that instant gratification. You know, he introduced bills into parliament that were defeated in 1789, 1791, 1792, 93, 97, 98, 99, 1804, and 1805. <laughs> That's how long he continued to meet resistance. And people of the pro-slavery movement would vilify him and and uh, go against him and antagonize him. And I mean, he just was met with constant oppression. But even then, what I want you to understand is that while he understood that the abolition of slavery was a moment that he was presented to, presented with in his time, he still understood that true wisdom in, encapsulated many other things, right? He, he was so philanthropic in his nature, more than 36 different philo, uh, philanthropic agencies that helped the marginalized and the oppressed of his day, helped orphans and single mothers and in the poor. I mean, he was constantly involving himself in the betterment of others, working against the oppression in the days of evil. And then finally, in 1807, 18 years after the first bill was introduced, slavery was abolished. And he didn't just satisfy satisfaction in the fact that the bill was approved. No, he stuck around and made sure it was implemented and enforced. Beautiful story of making the most of every opportunity, understanding his context and what was needed in that moment, what was needed in his time. And because of his urgency, because of his focus, because of his wisdom, the world began to shine just a little bit bright. And so what about us? Right? What, are we making the most of our lives, do we understand the days within which we live, right? It's, it's been interesting living within this pandemic and how we've had to adjust and adapt to certain things. And, and part of the impulse would be to focus in on all the things that are lost, all the challenges, all the difficulties. But the right mindset is to find urgency, right, to, to find uh, importance to find focus, to find wisdom, and say, actually, these, these are not problems, they're opportunities. God has placed us in this particular moment to shine his light. Let me give you an example of, of how we could think somewhat differently. Right? So we, we carry this fundamental philosophy as believers that we should feed the poor. Right? We, sh we should help feed the hungry. And so we've been doing that for years. We have this awesome mission house that for decades was in place, open on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings to, to help meet those needs of our community. Had an incredible group of volunteers that were faithfully serving week in and week out to make that happen. And then all of a sudden, this pandemic comes and we have to shut it down. And so one mindset would be to say, well, what can we do? Look what we lost. Another mindset would be to say, well, hold on. Maybe there's opportunity still. 
And so now what's happened is you've seen more volunteers collect food, more volunteers being willing to distribute food, more focused attention. And we went from providing food to maybe 30 families a month to 25 to 30 families a week. And, and with relationships and chance to pray and chances to follow up and get to know those families. It, it spread into opportunities for tutoring, right? We could sit there and say, look, how sad that all these schools were closed and look at all this education that's being missed out on. But then you see these people that go, no, that's, that's not just an obstacle, it's an opportunity. How can we pour into these families? How can we pour into these students? And you see this tutoring network emerge and, and evolve, and all of a sudden you have inroads to families that you never had inroads to before, right? Let me assure you, the church is on the rise because we understand that every season presents itself with an opportunity. Don't think about it just collectively. Think about it individually. This, this pandemic's created more time with family. It's created more time in your neighborhoods, more opportunities for conversations, for relationships. How are you stewarding these opportunities? Are you making the most of your life? Let me, let me close by offering just a few suggestions that summarize a little bit of what we covered. The first is this, have the right mindset. Right? Live your life with that sort of urgency and focus that God's will demands. Right? That, that's not to say that I've got to quit my job and I've got to quit doing all these other things that are fun and only just come to church 24-7 and join committees. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is, is that everything you do, look at through the lens of your calling. Have that mindset of urgency. Have that mindset of focus. Use wisdom. Be a light. Right? Not just have the right mindset, but understand the unique days within which we live. Right? We, we are living in this pandemic. We're living in a time of tremendous unrest, with unrest that is calling for, for racial reconciliation. We're called uh, to, to reevaluate what relationships look like, what, what life looks like. Understand these days and then step into them. Right? Understand the unique opportunities that are presented just to us in this present moment. Don't run, don't cower, let's press into them. And the third thing that I would say to try to tie it all together is to receive each day with joy. Right? I love that verse. It's a thematic verse in my life. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice. Let's be glad in it. And so then you bring all that together. So, so when you go home, bring joy to your family, right? Bring, bring those, those hugs, that love, that, that laughter into your home. Open up God's word together. Pray together. Serve together. Find joy together. When you go into your neighborhoods or your relationships, man, bring joy to those moments. Right? Understand who your neighbors are. Know their names. Bake them something. Buy them something. Go by and see how you can pray for them. Understand their stories. Understand their needs. And then meet those needs. Bring joy to those relationships. Think about your career and your studies. 
Bring joy to what God is providing to you and is equipping in you. Think about how your skills and your, your positions of influence can be used to combat the injustices around us and not just bring home a paycheck. Right? Bring joy to those moments. Bring purpose to those moments. And every step along the way, point to Jesus. Right? Point to Jesus. Tell your story. Tell your story of how he saved you, how he changed you, how he forgave you, how he gives you hope, how he gives you promise, how he gives you a future, and then invite others to experience the very same thing. Because here's, here's the key, right? When you think about all that God has done for you in Christ Jesus, what we discover is that God has made the most of you through Christ. And so as a result, we're going to make the most of him. And if we do those two things, I assure you, we'll make the most of life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful, so grateful for the love that you have shown us through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, let us not look past this moment without responding in joy. <laughs> God, our hearts fill up with praise that you would see us and love us enough to send your one and only son to die for our sins and to give us the promise of everlasting life. God, may that reality change the way that we see this world. God, help us to see it clearly. Help us to live a life with urgency and focus, with wisdom that we can let your light shine in all the dark places that you may lead us, God. And let us do so with joy. Father, help us to never lose sight of all that has been done for us in Christ so that we can make the most of him, Father, so that we can make the most out of this life that you have so beautifully given to each and every one of us. And so, Father, in this moment, we acknowledge before you it is not our own, it is yours. All that we are, all that you've given us, every moment, every minute, every breath, we surrender to you. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.